you turn with me to Genesis. It's, I'll make it easy for everybody. Genesis is at the beginning. <laughs> That's the easiest thing you'll do today. In the beginning, everybody has their own version of, of what they want to preach at Easter, and I guess, I think there are... Um, You know, there's probably ministers that, I guess, they, you know, you get four or five different uh, different versions of an Easter message, and that's what you have. I, I just, we're going to try to do something a little different today. Is that all right? Is that okay? A little different. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and He called the darkness night. Evening came, and then morning, the first day. Then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse sky. Evening came, and then morning the second day. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and he called the gathering of the water seas, and God saw that it was what? Good. Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and fruit trees, on the earth bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and it was so. The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was what? God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning, the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for festivals and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, and it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to have dominion over the day and the lesser light to have dominion over the night as well as the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to dominate the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was what? Good. Good. Evening came, and then morning, the fourth day. Then God said, let the water swarm with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures, and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds, he also created every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was what? Good. Good. So God blessed them. Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters of the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came, and then morning, the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl in the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so, so God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, and livestock according to their kinds, and creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was what? Good. Good. 
Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This food will be for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very, what? Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. Let's pray over the word. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promises. God, I pray that you will allow your word to do its work in our hearts today. Father, I pray that you just help me to stay out of the way. And God, let your word, which has power, do the work in us. Father, I pray that you will give us a greater revelation of uh, what this Easter celebration is about. And Father, I pray that you will uh, change our hearts today. We just pray and believe these things in the name of your Son and our strong Savior, Jesus Christ. And the church together said, Amen. Amen. When God finished creation, He considered it good. At every step along the way, God looked at what he had made and he said it was good. And, and then when he gets to the very end, even he, he looks and he sees that it was very good. And this is where our understanding of Easter has to begin. That's an odd thing. Right? Because most of the time what you expect is I'm going to show up at church on Easter and what's going to happen is that they're going to start the conversation. It kind of goes like this, and I'm sorry that it rhymes, but this is just what you know popped in my head. Man is bad. God is mad. Jesus died. Aren't we all glad? That's about, that's about what most Easter messages start off with. It starts off with man is bad. God is mad. But Jesus died, so we can all be glad. And that's, that's the concept. And so what many people have heard from the concept of the gospel is that there's this God who created this impossibly high moral standard that we can't reach, and he set this bar really high, and we can't leap over it. And so he got mad because that he set the bar and we couldn't get over it. And so therefore he is going to punish us and... Then, but thank goodness, then he, he, he makes a way for us. And that's, that's kind of where we start. We start with this concept that everything begins at Easter with man is bad. That's not the, the actual full message of the gospel. That, that's almost like starting a, a movie about halfway through and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, now I understand everything that's happened. But you really don't. Even if you kind of picked up on what most of the theme is, you're missing out on something that is vastly important to being able to both understand the message of Easter and to be able to fully receive the message of Easter. 
The story of Easter actually starts with a good God who created a good world filled with good things that at that point in time did not have death, it did not have sin, it did not have suffering, it didn't have pain, it didn't have any of those things existing. Now, don't misunderstand, you know, in case it's going to throw you for the whole rest of the message, I'm not starting out saying that man was good by, by, by nature or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. But man originally was created without sin. Okay, because until the fall, until Adam and Eve make this decision to disobey God, there was not sin in the world. God didn't look at everything in, in Genesis and go, well, it's good except for the fact that man is sinful. Because at that point, man was not sinful. God had created everything to exist in a form of harmony together. But then man had this, this unique quality about him that God allowed, and it's having a choice. It's having a will. And so God makes one rule in the garden. He says, you can, you can take out of everything that's here in the garden except for there is this one tree that I don't want you to eat of. This, this tree is going to cause a problem. If you eat of any fruit of this tree... But he said, in the day that you eat of it, you're going to surely die. We go, wait a minute. But they ate, and they didn't like drop over dead. But spiritually, we died. That was what, because sin had not been in place, and we had this connection with God. We had this relationship with God that was unbroken. And then Adam and Eve make this choice to disobey God. They made their own plan, their own decision, and it broke the relationship. And then something had to happen. But, but we have to understand that, that from the beginning, God created good things, a good creation, a good earth, people that were to be in harmony with one another and in harmony with nature. That was the beginning. That was the original design. The original design was not what we're looking at today. But then you hear people talk about Sin, and they, they speak of it as actions. They, they talk about that, well, sin separated us from God, and, and even though they say that in the singular, right, sin, no plural there, they think of it in the plural. They think of it as actions. And so when someone says, well, sin separates us from God, then they immediately start thinking through, well, you know, that's adultery, that's, that's doing this, that's doing that, that's lying, that's stealing, all those things. Here's a reality Sin in and of itself is not about an action. Sin is, is a powerful force that is at work against mankind, and it manifests itself in us committing sins. I, I want to show you where this is because you've you got to hang in there with me. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Look at this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. The Bible actually personifies, in other words, it gives sin the characteristics of a person. Now, we understand spiritually the, that, you know, the Bible tells us that there's only two masters. You can either serve Christ or you're serving, huh, or, or you're serving Satan. We go, oh my goodness, you know, I'm not a Satan worshiper. Well, I mean, there's only two choices, so 
You know, we're either following this one or following that one. But he says, so don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. He doesn't say don't let adultery reign in your mortal body. He doesn't say don't let lying reign in. He speaks of sin as an overall force, a powerful force that is working against us. And in fact, in verse 13, he says, and do not offer any parts of it, speaking of your mortal body. That's, that's you. Touch yourself. That's you. Do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons of righteousness. See the, see the contrast? He's not speaking about sins as an individual list. He's speaking about sin as a force that is working against us in our spiritual lives. He says, don't let sin, that force, reign in your body. Because here's what will happen. When that force begins to take control, then it becomes your master and you will do the things that it wants you to do. You will do what the one that you are serving tells you to do. Sin controls us until someone more powerful frees us from the hold that sin has on us. And you know what makes sin so terrible is that it disrupted the good plan that God had for all of creation. I want you to get a slight shift in your thinking here for a moment this morning because I'm not, I'm not picking on my, my fellow pastors or anything like that, but much of what is happening this morning in churches is, is telling people the result instead of the plan. What's going to happen is that, that there are many, and, and I'm not denying this, and you're going to see that as we go, but we need to understand what God's plan was versus what the end result will be if we don't become part of His plan. The end result is that many people are going to stand up this morning and tell people that the reason that you need to accept Jesus is so that you don't go to hell. Well, I would, I would say that's a, that's a pretty you know, good thing to avoid. I mean... You know, if we can avoid going to hell, that'd be great. All right? You know, I'm just saying that the downside of that one, you know, is gnashing of teeth, weeping, wailing, where the worm never dies and the flame never goes out. I mean, nobody's sitting around going, yeah, it sounds like a great place. We should go stay for a while. So the idea, on, on the one hand, what, we, what we've done over the years is we've convinced people that the reason they need to make an emotional decision about praying some prayer and saying, therefore, oh, hey, I'm good to go, is that, well, I need to avoid going to hell. And therefore, when it comes Easter time, boy, we get to beat that drum a lot. We get to stand up and go, look, here's what happened. Jesus died. He hung on the cross. He, he went to the grave. He was there three days, and he came back with the keys of death, hell, on the grave. And you need to accept me so that you don't have to die and go to hell. It'd be great if we didn't. But the Bible says that it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. It is his kindness that draws us. Why? Because we step back and we realize, wait a minute. God is not trying to save you from going to hell. Now, everybody, nobody wants to applaud or go, you know, amen, brother. Because they're going, I don't know what he's fixing to say next. Let me tell you what God is really trying to do. God is trying to restore the relationship that he designed and planned to have between him and mankind from the very beginning. An, an end result of that is that he will prevent you from going to hell. 
But he's not just trying to keep you from being punished. That's a negative view of it. Oh yeah, God's plan is to keep you from being punished. No, God's plan is to have relationship with you. God's plan is to have a friendship with you. In the very beginning, what was God doing in the Garden of Eden? It says that he would come down in the cool of the day and he would walk with Adam and Eve and he would talk with them. He would have this relationship, this interaction with them. That is what God is longing for. Yes, he does not want us to have to be punished, but he doesn't just desire saying, well, now you don't have to be punished. His desire is, I want to talk with you. I want to walk with you. I want to spend eternity with you. I don't want you to be punished, but but even greater than that, I want to have a personal relationship with you. And that's what makes sin so terrible Yes, it's terrible if you end up, because of sin, dying and and rejecting Christ and, and going to hell. But what is even of greater importance is that your whole life you could have spent in relationship with the God of all creation. The God who spoke things into existence. The God who breathed life into mankind that says, I want to have a relationship with you. And I want to have that for eternity. That's what is so terrible because sin not only affects you in eternity, it affects you now. Sin tainted all that was good and pure and clean. And so thus this effect of this powerful force of sin led to the actions of sins, plural. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 5 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. Listen to this. According to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. He doesn't say you were walking according to the actions. He said you were walking according to one who had authority over you. This power of sin, this spirit that is now working in the disobedient, this force that pushes us to do things that we know are not right. Verse 3, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Telling someone what Jesus did at Easter is essentially meaningless if I don't first share what God's original design and God's original plan for man and creation actually is. It, it, It would be like someone being born into and spending their whole life in a communist country. And all they had ever known was that way of life. And and if we don't realize in in communist countries, uh, particularly before that you had some of the advent of the internet and the ability to to be able to sneak and try to see some things, even today in, in communist countries, they will shut down certain things where you're in that country, you can't access certain information even through the internet. They will cut off your ability to access certain things. If you had grown up in that environment your entire life, and that is all you had ever known, you had always been told this is the way things are, this is the way things are supposed to be, this is the way the whole world is, then you would would never know if that was all you had ever been in. And if someone came along and said, hey, did you hear the good news? 
You go, oh, what good news? Well, the good news is, is that halfway around the world, there was a war that went on, and, and, and there was a battle between some of our army and another army, and our army got defeated, and we're free now. You're going, free from what? Well, we don't have to live this way anymore. Well, but, but this, is, this is the way you live. I mean, the idea of freedom being granted to you would mean nothing if you did not know that there was anything any different, if this was just normal to you. This is the way life is. This is, this is the way it happens. If we don't grasp what life is supposed to be like according to God's plan, then it's impossible to grasp the importance of what happened in providing us this freedom. But knowing God's intention of having an unbroken personal relationship with us allows us to see the devastating effect that this powerful force of sin had on mankind. Throughout the Old Testament, we would keep seeing that God was pointing toward a future time when something would happen that would allow this broken relationship to be restored. And everything we see in the Old Testament times was a, uh, uh, it was symbolism pointing toward the coming Christ. Anybody got a $10 bill in your pocket? Nobody stresses about me because, you know, we don't stop service and take up an offering or anything like that. So I'm not hitting you up for anything. Oh, wow, look at that. Well, I didn't, I didn't want it. I mean, but man, that was awesome. Does anybody have a hundred? <laughs> All right, hold that $10 bill up. Yeah, hold that $10 bill up. How much do y'all actually think that $10 bill is worth? You think, you think it's worth $10? Oh, it represents $10. It's not really worth $10. I mean, there's not $10 worth of material or paper or anything, even ink and all that in that. It's not worth $10. Take it to a, you know, take it to a country that doesn't accept maybe our, our currency. When, when Bird and I went to Uganda, you know, that's one of the things you first learned. You've got to find out what the exchange rate is, and then you've got to get their currency. Because even though we may have a worldwide currency in the dollar, when you're in Uganda, you don't run around paying for stuff with dollar bills. You're paying for stuff with Ugandan money. It really doesn't. It's not $10. It represents something. It actually represents that there is secure collateral that's held somewhere else and that is something else. There's some gold somewhere, Fort Knox or something like that, that actually is, is backing that up, that is the security for that symbolism of $10. The same thing was what happened with sacrifices and things in the Old Testament. They didn't hold any value, but they were symbolic of something that was somewhere else and that was something else and that had all of the value. They pointed toward the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus to come. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 says this, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance 
is the Messiah. Says all of these things that, that you guys are all bent out of shape about, in, in for for the, the Jewish community, it was getting bent out of shape about, oh my goodness, you ate some bacon. But they couldn't eat bacon. You couldn't have pork, you couldn't have various different things. And so out of all of that, then they were, man, people got all bent out of shape and worried about that and going, oh my goodness, you don't you don't love God like I love God because you ate bacon. And so the end result was, then Paul has to come along here and say, hey guys, this stuff, it wasn't the substance. Doing those things and, and observing those things, none of that was what's important. The substance is found in Jesus, the Messiah. When Jesus led the disciples in communion, he made a couple of powerful statements. He said this. He said, this is my body. When he gave them the bread. When he gave them the cup, he said, this represents my blood. And this is a new covenant. In 1 Corinthians verses 5-7, through 7, he said, Clean out the old yeast so that you may be a new batch. You are indeed unleavened, for Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. Christ our Passover. He said, man, everything changed. See, God created everything to be good. He planned it all to be good. Our sin separated us from Him. But yet He says, look, now I'm going to show you through these examples all through the New Testament of things that you will do that point toward the once-for-all answer that's going to come. And Paul has to tell the church here at Corinth, he says, look, guys, you need to get rid of all that old stuff because you need to recognize Christ has come. Our Passover has been sacrificed. The answer has been given. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 says, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from the fathers. Listen, he says, look, it's not that it wasn't great that you were obedient to doing all these things, but that was an empty way of life. And you were redeemed from that, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. Jesus died so that the penalty of sin would be paid. He died so that that force, that controlling power in our lives would be broken. But His resurrection... See, we, it, this, is, this is where we miss out on understanding, you know, what is Christ dying means one thing, but His resurrection means something else. When Christ died, He broke the control, He broke the authority that sin had in our lives. Because He paid the price, He paid for the debt, so that part's taken care of. But if all He did was die, as you saw in the video, it said, doesn't everybody die? If God is the one who created everything to be good, desired to have a relationship with us, then our sin through Adam and Eve broke that relationship and then it passed down to us and we each make a choice of whether to receive the offering of Jesus Christ who comes along and pays the price. But, but how do we know that God is going to accept the sacrifice that Jesus made? Because if he had just died, then he would be like anyone else. And we could say, well, I mean, he said he was going to die for our sins, but I don't have any clue whether God actually accepted his payment. See, this is why the resurrection is of such great importance. 
Because when he said, I'm going to die because no man takes my life, I have the power to lay it down and I'm going to take it back up again. If God had not received his sacrifice, he would still be in the grave. He would still be dead. He would still be gone. But he did what he said he would do because he said, I'm sent from my father. I'm going to come and do the will of my father. I'm going to pay the debt so that you can be restored to my father. And then my father will allow me to be raised back up to show that he has accepted the payment that I have made. So he died to break the hold of sin, but he arose so that we could see that God had wiped our debt free. God had received the payment that he had made. I want to show you this. You know, I always tell you, I don't want to give you opinions. If I can't show it to you in the Word, then, you know, because you can argue with me about an opinion. We can just talk about what the Word says. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. He was delivered up for our trespasses. He was killed for our trespasses. He was raised for our justification. He was killed because of our sins, but he was raised up to show that the debt had been wiped free with God. That's why if he had only died and not been raised, that's why the resurrection is important. That's why Easter is important. It's because that Easter shows when he says, when, when Jesus, think about this, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, and before he passes, he makes this statement. He uses these words that we so often use, and he says, it is finished. The part that was finished was the control that sin has over your life has now been broken. It has been destroyed. You no longer have to serve this thing. All of that is finished. But then when he comes back to life, he's saying, and my dad accepted what I did on your behalf. A marvel is that the holy consistency of God required that sin create this chasm between mankind and God because of our choice to sin. But God's merciful nature. See, that we, we always want to talk about God's... We've got to get both sides of this. We, we often talk about God's holy side, His, His holy consistency, that because He is perfect, that He cannot allow imperfection to be in his presence or to be in that relationship with him. And so therefore we go, oh, look, see, so sin created the chasm. But yet his mercy on the other side, on the other part of who God is, his mercy led him to provide a bridge to get across that chasm. And that was in the form of Jesus and the work of the cross. God decided to perfectly keep his own law for the benefit of sinful man who could not keep it. You see, that's where we normally start. That's where Easter messages normally start. God had this high bar. We couldn't keep it, so God decided, but we've got to step back and see that one of the reasons that he did is because he desired to have a relationship. He desired to restore. That's why when we... The beginning of the book and the end of the book are so consistent to each other. In the beginning, God created and everything was good. In the end, He comes and He restores and He redeems all of creation to Himself to make it be. And then we see the Bible talk, it says that the lion will lie down with the lamb. That the child could play beside the, the, the poisonous snake's hole and, and reach its hand and it because it won't bite. Because that was, that was the beginning. That was Genesis. 
And that's what he has been working through Christ to restore, not just us, to to redeem all of creation. Romans 5 verses 18 and 19 says this, Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Because this action on the cross and the resurrection, Christ is able to save all of those who come to God through Him for the remainder of time. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 25 says, Therefore, He, being Christ, is always able to save those who come to God through Him since He always lives. Catch that. There's the message of the resurrection right there. He always lives. It's not that he died and it's a great thought and we can put up a memorial for him and all this stuff, but he always lives to intercede for them. And that is why he is able to save those who come to God through him. The resurrection is critical because if if he did not come back to life, then he is not alive and able to save those who come to God through him. But why do people continue to remain in a state of sin if Christ has made payment for their sins, giving access into a restored relationship between mankind and God? And this is the question that followers of Christ have asked for all of time since Christ came. Why? Why? Why do people remain in that condition if Christ has made payment, and, and there are a lot of reasons that people give. Sometimes the reason is, well, God's going to make me give up stuff. You know, God's going to make me stop doing some things. God's going to make me stop going some places. God's going to make me stop hanging out with some certain people. Well, honestly, at some level, probably some of those certain people need to come to Christ too. So you probably need to influence them a little bit. Yeah, there's probably some places you don't need to go. There's some places you don't need to go whether or not you come to Christ or not. There's some stuff just, you know it's bad. If, if you know you're putting on, all right, I'm, I'm going to go there. Just, you know, if you know you're putting on weight like crazy, you don't need Jesus to come along and tell you you need to quit eating so much. So you're going to say, well, I can't lose weight because it's going to make me give something up. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the way it works. We don't seem to have a problem in that life. You go, you know what? We need to have some better savings. We need to increase our savings. Well, guess what you're going to decide to do? We're going to give some things up. And there are probably some fun things and some stuff you'd like to do, but it defeats the purpose that you want to have for the long term. So we ought to be able to move past this thing about, well, you know, if I, I come to Christ, he's going to make me give some stuff up. Let's go back to the beginning. What was his plan for you? His plan was he created a good earth made by a good God, to have good relationships. Well, you know he's going to make me hate people. Really? Now look, don't confuse. Now this is a statement for you. This one's, this one's free right here. I love this statement. Don't confuse the actions of the adherents to the teachings of the instructor. Just because there's some people that's in the church and all that, and they act a fool about everybody that's not in the church, don't assume that that's the way Christians ought to act. 
Don't assume that because they act hateful and because they say mean-spirited stuff that that's what Jesus taught. Jesus was somehow able to have sinners flocking to him, showing up to eat with him, to talk with him, and yet he would do things like say, hey, you need to go your way and don't sin anymore. And they didn't go, well, you hypocritical, self-righteous. You know, People were like, wow. Because somehow... His attitude and his reaction to people and his interaction with people allowed him an open door to be able to discuss because he showed love, he showed compassion, he didn't compromise belief, but he showed all the things that he was supposed to in being a God of love who wanted to reach people with the message of the gospel. He never compromised. He didn't have to say all that stuff in order. He just communicated the truth of the word He showed people love and he says, and you need to come. You need to come and let your life be changed. But why do people continue? We see it in John 3. We just like to read John 3, 16. That's what we like to start with and stay with. But there's some more that's there. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This, then, is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Why do people remain in a state of sin? Because they like what they're doing more than they are willing to let those things be exposed and changed. There's a story. 1829. I don't think anybody was alive then, but none none of you. Uh, 1829, there were two men named Wilson and Porter. And they were convicted of committing murder while they were robbing the United States mail. They 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 robbed the United States mail and they killed somebody in the process and they were sentenced to death by hanging. Three weeks before the sentence was to be carried out, President Andrew Jackson pardoned Wilson's sentence. When they went and told Wilson, he refused to accept it. President is trying to pardon him from hanging, and he says, I don't want it. I'll hang. This actually went to the Supreme Court. Guy is sentenced to die. The president is trying to pardon him. He's saying, I don't want your pardon. The president's going, but I'm pardoning you. And it had to go to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court issued this ruling, included this in it. A pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential. And delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered. And if it is rejected, we have discovered no power in this court to force it upon him. Listen, he said, look, the the Supreme Court, now this isn't anything to do with spiritual stuff. This is just normal, everyday, figured out. If someone tries to pardon you, can they pardon you against your own will? 
And the Supreme Court had to come back and say, wait a minute, it's kind of like a, a deed. And if I try to give you the deed and you won't accept the deed, I can't deliver it. I can't fulfill the completion of all the steps. Then it can be rejected. And if it's rejected, we don't have any power to force you to take it. So God got hung. Today, I just want to make sure that you know the gospel. The gospel simply means good news. What is the good news that comes out of Easter? It's not just that, well, man was bad, God was mad, Jesus died, so we're all glad. That's not, that's not the entirety of the good news. The good news is that a good God created a good world that had perfect relationship with mankind and creation. Man chose to disobey God's one rule, introduce sin into the world and breaking all the God-intended relationships. Can you imagine just for a moment, though? Can you imagine what our world would look like with God's original design? Men wouldn't hate each other because they're from different races. People wouldn't hate each other because they're from different countries. People wouldn't hate each other because one has something that someone else wanted I mean, quite honestly, if you really get, get down to it, they were so pure in their thing, they didn't even realize that they didn't have clothes on. Everything was a complete purity. You could walk out the door, and if there was a lion standing there, which would be a little freaky in Aniston, but if you walked out the door and there was a lion standing there, you could walk up and pet it on the head, Mello. about that? That line, it sends you a message. He says, hey, Mello, catch me outside. How about that? <laughs> Pet me on the main. I'm your main man. <laughs> That's bad. I'm sorry. God refused to give up on mankind. So he sent his son to live a perfectly sinless life, die a sacrificial death on our behalf, but then to rise to live again so that we too could live a life that's victorious over sin. But for what purpose? To go to heaven? That's one of the outcomes. To get blessings? That's one of the outcomes. No. It was so that we could enjoy life everlasting in an unbroken relationship with God, with each other, and with all of creation. Exactly as He created things. That is the good news. God will restore his original design. Maybe you've never chosen to accept that. Because maybe when you, know, when you showed up for an Easter service, or you, 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 know, you may be in church every week and still. I shared with a group of pastors this week, I said, hey, just because it, uh, that people dress up, or just because people go to church, or just because you got a little fish symbol on the back of your car, I said, does that really mean that you're a believer? They're like, well, I guess not. I said, well, then it's got to be something else. And maybe some of those things show up. I mean, I don't, I don't have a fish symbol on the back of my car, so if that's one of the requirements of, you know, of showing that you're saved, I'm in trouble because I don't have a fish symbol and I don't have a God is my co-pilot tag. Never figured that out anyway. If God shows up in my airplane, he's driving. <laughs> I'm not going to sit in the co-pilot seat. I got this, God. <laughs> I'm going to be like, 
hey, bro, here, you know, take my seat. It's yours anyway. Maybe you've never chosen to accept what, what Jesus did for you. You might have even prayed some prayer sometime just because, man, you know, I, yeah. I mean, who wants to get at the end of a service? That's a little bit of manipulation, by the way, too. If you get at the end of the service and go, how many of you today want to go to hell when you die? Well, I mean, there's not too many people that are in their right mind and going to go, hey, yeah, I'd, I want to volunteer. I'm up. There's not people going to do that. That's just manipulation. I'll tell you what I want to extend to you today. It's not that in coming to Christ again that you uh, don't avoid going to hell, but that's not why that I think that you need to accept Christ. I think when, when God's Word says that it's His kindness that leads us to repentance, it's when we see that this God wants to have a relationship with us. It kind of be like, you know, be like a shotgun wedding. You know, if, if you don't marry her, I'm going to shoot you. How, how, how well do you expect that one to work out? But what about when it's that point where, you know, how many times have you even heard a story of somebody was just trying hard to woo the other person? And the other person maybe didn't even have any interest in them. Didn't even like them. Didn't even, you know, didn't even see them as a potential romantic interest. And so they, they this person just keeps trying to woo them. They send them cards. They send them flowers. I'm assuming this is a guy, you know, trying to woo the lady. And he's trying hard. And then finally, he does something that's so magnificent that she looks and goes, what have I been thinking this whole time? This guy is unbelievable. Look at what he's willing to do for me. Look at how much he cares for me. That is so different in contrast to somebody going, hey, if you don't marry him, I'm shooting you. I'm not asking you to, hey, think about accepting Christ because that you need to avoid going to hell. I'm not holding the gun to your head. But I am going to say, look at the magnificence of what he designed you to be of the relationship that he wants to have with you, of all the efforts that he is going through in order to reach you. And I'm asking you to listen to your heart. Say, wow, what have I been thinking this whole time? This person wants to have a relationship with me. This is unbelievable. And let his kindness lead you to repentance.